welcome to the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on today's episode, I chat with my co-host, Dr. Susan Fancher, about her unending love of Kenny G, studying with Jean-Marie Londex, the magic of articulation, and a whole lot of other saxophonic nonsense, frankly. Hey, next week, we're going to dive into the mailbag and answer some of your questions. So if you have a question, feel free to write us. You can reach me, Wally, at thesaxophoneacademy.com. Hope you're having a great summer, and uh, we'll see you soon. No, but it's there's not going to be any end to it. But I have some follow-up on the last episode. Oh, 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 oh so follow-up. <laughs> like, uh, okay. So, yeah. Follow-up on last episode. Uh, okay. <laughs> on the last episode of the Saxophone Academy oh, podcast. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, one of the many things that's really fun about getting together and talking with you, Wally, and doing this podcast, one of the really great things, besides all your wonderful Saxophone Academy fans and our wonderful our wonderful Saxophone Academy, Academy fans, fans, is that you know I get um, messages from old friends all over the world who are like, "Oh, I heard your podcast, and it was so nice to hear your voice, and it's really fun listening listening to you and Wally talk, and on and on and on." So there are friends from my days in Europe that, yeah. that reach out and say, hey, listen to the podcast. And I didn't expect that to happen because we're talking about saxophone junk, right? And they're not saxophone players. Well, some of them are, but some of them are not. So there's this one friend, I'll just say his first name, Bernd, because it's a very common German language name. Right. Who's an old friend from... Wait, is this, is this Bernd? Bernd. 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 Yeah. We're saying the same word. But you're looking at me disapprovingly. No, it's fine. I'm like, I'm like wait, did I say it wrong? Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we have a mutual friend whose name I've yet to ever pronounce correctly. Jiayu? Jiayu, I guess is how I yeah, say it. Yeah, but every time I say it, I swear I swear upon the gods new and old. Every time, I, 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 a fantastic saxophone, wonderful person. Yeah. And then when I when I try to say this person's name. Do they look at you funny? They, like They give me a really kind of like, yeah, that's not even close. Or, okay, I guess I have to put up with that. Right. So... <laughs> So, burn. You know, how many times have you, when you when you're learning a foreign language, and you say a word, and your friend who speaks that as their mother tongue will look at you and like, well, that's almost it, and then they say it, and, and to you're your like, ear, you're, you're like, like, that's I just said that. That's exactly what I just said, and then you say, it and they're like, well, that's closer, and you're like, oh my god, because you know, we I just, know, I, we, I swear to God, Pierre, I will call Homeland Security <laughs> and have you deported <laughs> if you give me that look again. I know, right? I but said Bonjour, <laughs> leave it alone. Bonjour, for God's sakes. Yeah. Okay, call Department <laughs> of Homeland Security. Anyway, because you know our, our ears get really tuned into the sounds of our right. language, but and we to, can't hear. Back to back but, to Berndt. But Berndt, my friend Berndt from I have a couple of friends named Berndt. Actually, three I think. Actually, to oh, be honest. I hope, I hope they're all one, cuddly, and you call them the Berntstein uh, Bears. I hope I'm the one. Oh, that's very good. I oh, know. So funny. I'm a de- it's so funny. Okay, so Berndt. <laughs> anyway, so this this wonderful um, dear friend from my days living in Vienna. Um, you know, just gets in touch with me once in a while on Facebook Messenger and like, oh, I really enjoyed the the recent podcast. But this last one, <laughs> he wrote to me and he's like, so you and Kenny G, huh? <laughs> uh, it's, it got a little weird. I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to embarrass you during the podcast. But uh, last episode, so funny. while Sue was speaking of Kenny G, she became a little flush. And then she wildly knocked over a bottle of uh, yeah, water I'm in my office. I'm leaving the cap on today. I've okay. got the cap yeah. on the bottle of water so I don't baptize your carpet again. Yeah, I also brought a fan and another <laughs> bottle of water in case shut we bring up. Con- okay, I'll shut up. Anyway, so it's been really fun reconnecting with with people I haven't seen in many, many years. And a, um, a friend 
whose name is Derek, who lives in Scotland, who took saxophone lessons with me while I lived in Vienna. Oh, yeah. Um, so reconnected a bit, and it's just been really fun. I mean, it's, it's so wonderful that this podcast is getting listened to by people all over the world. How cool is that? Yeah. It's most an international community. I know, which which really says something about it's the state fun. of available podcasts. <laughs> well, <laughs> in and saxophone also specifically. How, how much people are dying these days, especially yeah. for, for some community and for some connection. <laughs> Speaking of, of people all over yeah. the world. Yeah. And we both get messages from people all over the world, yeah. literally every month. Once yeah. or twice. No, I'm kidding. We actually get quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so one of the most common questions I get, and we're going to loop back to this, okay. is always regarding articulation, because it's one of those incredibly oh, frustrating yeah. things to teach at. And yeah. that pairs nicely into big news in your life. So we're yeah. going to get to the, the topic of articulation, yes. the many swaths and colors and textures of articulation. But how did how are we going to get there via... Well, yeah. Via France. Talk to us about so this. So via soon. France, so and via Lone Dex more specifically and all of that, um, and students of Lone Dex mm-hmm. will, of course, recognize, oh, they're, they're ro- rolling their well, eyes already and thinking about articulation. But I got a phone call uh-huh. last week when I was spending three days on a short getaway in Asheville, North Carolina. And I got to say, a little plug for Asheville, North Carolina. Gorgeous little place to hang out for a couple of days. Wonderful restaurants. Great hiking, really close nearby. Uh-huh. Had a great time. Went to the Grove Park Inn, which was recommended to me. I didn't stay there. I can't afford to stay there. But <laughs> do you know uh, so anything about this place? The Grove Park Inn? I've, I've stayed. I mean, uh, well, I, yeah. I, I, have okay. a, I have a wealthy friend that stayed, stayed there. Okay. Yeah, I've stayed there. <laughs> it's very nice. I, it, it would be worth it to stay there once. Yeah. It's it's expensive. But yeah, anyway. it is. But what a cool place. And I so a friend of mine said, hey, you should go check out the Grove Park Inn while you're in Asheville. And I'm like... I went online and I'm like, it's a hotel and I'm not staying there. So why would I go to this hotel where I'm not staying? And then I dug a little deeper and found out you can go there and just spend the day, go to the shops, go get a glass of wine and sit on the terrace and watch the sunset mm-hmm. and just walk around the grounds. There's a spa and make fun blah, of blah, the blah. rich people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's really an amazing building. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful place. Historic structure. Anyway, so I was in a, a, on a little getaway in Asheville and I was sitting there having my lunch and I... I always leave my my phone ringer on because I'm one of those people who actually picks up the phone if you call me if I can and if I hear the phone. Which is ring. so you always answer your phone. Well, most of the time. Well, let's if let I people can. know your phone number. So area code three three six. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but but this time I was really happy that I picked up my phone. And during a meal, I usually don't pick up my phone. But um, Mark and I were in an outdoor but cafe. Mark was just droning on and on <laughs> about co- contemporary composition techniques. Probably. And multiphonics. Yeah, multiphonics. And you're like, oh, I got to take this, Mark. And I felt my purse was down by my by my foot, so I didn't hear the phone ring, but I felt it buzzing. You know, that buzzing when you're cell phone. Okay, so, this, is, this is getting a long talk to get. Who I called know. you, Sue? <laughs> so I pick up my phone, and it says that Bill Street is calling me. Do you know who Bill Street is? William Street. William Canadian Street. Canadian saxophone, yes. a student of Jean. Exactly. And he picks up. He, I pick up the phone. I'm like, well, hello. My phone tells me that Bill Street is calling me. He's like, hi, Sue Fancher. How are you doing? I'm well, calling about your uh, <laughs> your auto insurance. And so he says to me, one of the first things out of his mouth, he says, so are you still married to Mark Engelbretson? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a very strange. Well, if he doesn't question. shut up about multiphonics, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe not. No, yes. And I said, well, yes. And I said, by the way, he's sitting right here. Are you calling to talk to him? And because, you know, Mark never answers his phone. His phone is never on. I mean, the ringer's always off. Yeah, because so he's actually I, engaged with you when you're having a meal together. 
Okay, touche. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so Bill's like, well, I am here at the home of Daniel Kinsey, where we are shortly going to be looking out his window and watch the fireworks from the Eiffel Tower. And I'm thinking, so you're calling me just to taunt me about the fact that you're sitting here with Daniel Kinsey, who's also a very famous French saxophonist who's written a book on multiphonics. Speaking of multiphonics. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so and then what I you're trying to say is Daniel Kinsey, this guy knows how to party. Uh, he's got this like big home apparently that's up on the hills outside yeah. of Paris with a view of the Eiffel Tower and he can watch the fireworks and I'm thinking, "Oh, and by the way, I realized it was uh, so it was the 14th of, of July." That's exactly what I was thinking. Which is Bastille Day. Yeah. So it's like their 4th of July. Okay. It's their 14th of July. So they're going to have a huge fireworks. Wait, they they broke away from England too? Why do they have a Fourth of I July? I, th I think it was wh like who do they the, declare independence like a revolution? from? Uh, the peasants. Were they a colony? Declared. All right, let's move on. So, okay, okay, let's not get into that. Well, yeah, okay. so anyway, so long story short, Mark and I got invited to go to a uh, an, a conference of twenty people who are going to get together at the home of Daniel Kinsey and Londex is coming, who is turning ninety. Okay, so let's and we're going to have a mini conference where everybody does a little presentation and then we have discussions. Oh, about topics, about being an artist these days and the state of music these days, the state of the saxophone, things like that. Recording and it's being hosted by a guy that. that wrote a book on multiphonics. Yeah. Yeah, I'll shut up. Okay. So <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. Anyway, so, so it Do makes they need me a counterbalance? Bring me, I'll bring some American cheese and let me set there them straight. Okay. Yeah. So for a lot of our listeners, cheddar. the jazz-oriented, <laughs> they cheddar. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, have a handgun and some melted cheddar, Daniel. Oh, let me show you the American way. <laughs> So for those of, of our, our, a lot of our listeners aren't going to know who Jean-Marie Londex is. So Londex. who is Jean-Marie Londex? Studied with Marcel Mule. Who's Marcel Mule? Marcel Mule, come on! The grandfather of the saxophone, the classical saxophone. Professor of saxophone um, at the Paris Conservatory, who I believe studied with Sax, right? I don't believe he studied Did with he sax. Did he study with Adolf no, Sax? No, the interesting connection. Who studied that, with Adolf Sax? <laughs> I don't know. That, I think I saw that on a popsicle okay. stick once. Yeah. Um, so, uh, interesting factoid. So, Marcel Mule was the second professor of sax at the Paris Conservatory. The first being Adolf Sax. And there was sax. a gap, a significant gap. Okay. But then, then uh, Marcel Mule. So, Jean-Marie Lennox studied with Marcel Mule. Yeah. And you studied with... I studied with Jean-Marie Londex. But not at the Paris Conservatory. No. At the... Bordeaux Conservatory. Which Conservatoire is... Conservatoire. In the Bordeaux, Bordeaux region of in France. Bordeaux, in the city okay. of Bordeaux, on yeah. the Gironde River, in from the ocean. Okay, so how, many, how long did you study with, with, with Bordeaux? I was in with Bordeaux. With Bordeaux. With Londex. <laughs> with Londex. How much, did you, how much wine did you drink? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. That's another story. <laughs> Let me just say, Mark and I met in Bordeaux over many, many bottles of wine. <laughs> but we studied with uh, Londex. I was there one year. Mark was there two years. Okay. I was spent one year. He, he was right a little after. slower. Yeah, you yeah. needed two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I needed five years with Hemke, and then I went back for grad studies for three more years. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> you, you, it says you like Chicago. <laughs> I um, like Chicago. I do. Yeah. I love Evanston. Right, yeah. So you studied with, with Jean-Marie Londex. Yeah. And what are, tell, I want to hear like some of the things you... What was it like as an American studying in... Bordeaux. I was going to say American oh, Paris, but it's not Paris. It's, it's not Paris. Ameri yeah, yeah, American in Bordeaux. Well, it was, it was fabulous living in France. I mean, it was eye-opening. You can see, you know, so many different ways that things are done. The driving's even more insane than here, where it was at that time. Mm -hmm. um, 
people don't pick up after their dogs, so you had to be very careful walking on the sidewalks. <laughs> it's a little bit better now. <laughs> we were there a couple years ago, or six years ago now, and uh, it's it's much better. But Bordeaux was kind of a little dingy and a little bit dirty, a little bit run down at that time. And now that city's really sparkling. They've developed their their riverfront, so it's it's a very beautiful place to oh, hang nice. out and walk. So it's a wonderful city. You just got a wonderful uh, shopping street, Rue Saint Catherine, where you can just spend all kinds of money buying stuff you probably don't need. <laughs> you know, so I love the fact that you would make an, an excellent travel agent. You're selling me on this. Oh. But if I ask you about a new Van Doren product, you're like, uh. I don't know. I, I can know. tell you about a new Van Doren product. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So what are, we were just talking about yeah. before we started rolling. So, yeah. What did you learn from Londex? Oh, gosh, I don't even, you know, and it was hard to even pick something, but in, in particular, um, he talked an awful lot about articulation. He was very adamant about doing exactly what was on the page of music, um, what what the composer wrote, really respecting the text. He would say, mm -hmm. respect respect the text, respect the text. So if the composer wrote a tenuto, you had to make sure you did a tenuto. If the composer wrote a staccato, well, that brings up a whole can of worms, but you had to do a staccato of some sort or another. If there was right. an accent, you had to do an accent of some sort or another. If it was accent with a tenuto, accent with a staccato, Blah, blah, blah. You had to really respect the text. I think he gave an awful lot of credit to composers. Especially French composers. Yeah. Um, so he, he my really mentor studied with Londex as well, ah. and he was saying that French, the French composers, they know what they want. They wrote it on the page, so don't second guess. Yeah. If a French composer writes it, do what they say. Yeah. A little, a little bit so nationalistic. But I, but I love, I love that you qualify composer a little bit because... Um, I would even say, be careful, you know, and I think, of course, Londex does this and did this, and he would have taught this also. But for all of, you know, our friends out there listening, you have to be a little careful because composers, you know, think about if you sing something and you want to notate exactly what you sang. Mm -hmm. It's really, really, really hard. So, you know, cut the composers a little slack. They might write an accent and you might think, okay, they wrote accent. So boom, you know, I'm going to go ta and they might not <laughs> really have meant that. So we have to, you know, just right. because somebody used a certain notation, if, if I haven't studied with the same people that they've studied with, that notation might mean something different to mm. them than it means to me. So woo. it's a visual representation of a sound, which is a poor substitute for the actual sound. Yeah. And it's this it's notation system. So I teach, yes, respect the text, do exactly what's on the page. But then you have to really consider what music you're making when you've done that. And that's where our artistry and our experience and mm. our own you don't check your brain at the door kind of <laughs> philosophy has to come in. You know, right. if it sounds bad to go ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. No, that's just know, great. And it, it, in some situations, <laughs> it, it could yeah. actually sound really cool, but yeah. in some situations, it's going to sound really dumb, you know. And you have to make sure, just because the composer wrote accent, 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 that you know, the, and you might play it for the composer, and the composer will be, "Why are you tonguing those things so hard?" Well, look, you wrote all these things. I mean, yeah, yeah. I have a really great example from my wonderful friend Steve Reich. Your your friend, <laughs> my Steve, my friend Steve Reich, who wrote this piece. Um, um, some people say Steve Reich, pronounce it, but, yeah. but he wrote this piece, New York Counterpoint. When I did the no, I know you had a but you you still keep in touch with Steve. So I sure do for our yeah. jazz for our jazz nerds. Uh, Steve Reich, uh, w probably one of my heroes of 
American, classical, American, yeah, classical American composition. minimalism. Minimalism. Yeah. It's like if Philip Glass were more interesting. I, I'm kidding. I, I, I actually really do enjoy Philip Glass <laughs> yeah, a lot. Same, so that yeah. was a joke. Yeah, but, yeah, no. Um, so understood. Sue is friends with Steve Reich. Sure. Because you did his arrangement of <laughs> New York Counterpoint. And it's breathtaking. I love it. But so, and so I humble. Lo- I love him dearly. Um, he wrote. He wants this music played at the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you've heard Pat Metheny's um, electric counterpoint, it's the same thing at the beginning. It's right. It's alternating picking motion. <clears throat> yes. it's, a, it's a podcast, Sue. They can't see your hand. Okay. <laughs> With a lot of reverb. And if you think about like the percussion music of Steve Reich, how, mm-hmm. how much a lot of it rings. Right? right. Okay. So anyway, he wrote, I love him dearly, and I don't mean to criticize him, but he, he wrote. Um, it's okay. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. I can block his IP address. It's not a problem. Okay, but he wrote, I believe it is um, Tenuto Staccato Marks, um, and people go da 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 da. And when when the when the Rasher Saxophone Quartet recorded New York Counterpoint, mm-hmm. they did it very um, articulate. Right. And he very much disliked it because he said it sounded too militaristic. Was his term. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted it. And, and to be fair, the first recording that I made of that piece, together with my colleagues in the Vienna Saxophone Quartet, having seen that notation, we played da 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 da. Um, quite articulate because it's it's got that dot over the tenuto. Okay. And so it seemed to us there should be a little bit more articulation than just da 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 da. Which if you if you had written nothing, or if you had just written the tenutos, I probably would have done that. If you'd written nothing, my brain goes into okay, it's up to me. Right. If you write a tenuto, then I'm like, oh, I got to do da 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 da. And if he had written just tenutos, we would have done that. So the first recording we pause sent to him, question yeah. because we have we have a lot of. Um, Adult learners. Yeah. So when you say tenuto, what is a tenuto marking? The tenuto mark is just that line over a note. Which means? Uh, to play at full value. Full value. And it can also involve more articulation or it can involve a very soft articulation. That's where these things are not like black and white. Can I say it like that? Yes. Well, let, I wanted us to do a jazz interjection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the jazz world. In the jazz world, yeah. Dig it, cats. When we see a tenuto, I like to think that I tell my, my students the tenuto kind of means leading to the next note. Yeah. It's motion to the next note. Like That's the two great. eighth note is the end, which is kind of like the entire genre of bebop. Bebop, yeah. do that. Long, do short. Bebop. So the tenuto, that, the first of those two eighth notes, do that, we will mark with my beginning students or my students that aren't used to reading, you know, jazz articulation, yeah. I mark that as a tenuto. For me, it means the leading into long, full value, yeah. into the next note. So, and that's seen as a line yeah. over the note. Now, we have, like, literal college professors that listen to this podcast, but also I just, I think it's great for the adult amateurs. We don't want you to feel left out. Thank I, you, yeah. I care about you. Okay, so, yeah. t- so in this marking of the Steve Reich, it had tenuto plus a dot over it. Yep. Make up your mind, Steve. Yeah. Which is it? And so, my students ask all the time, what, what does that even mean? And, well, back let's back up even more. The dot. What is the dot? Oh, what is the dot? Now, this mean? is somewhat conscious. Mm, That's like one of those things. It's a simple question, but it is not. It's not a simple question. No. Ça dépend. It depends. It <laughs> depends. Now, my French is all. I'm working yes. on French now with my little Duolingo Some owl guy. Dupont. I was yeah. exactly <laughs> what I was thinking, Sue. I'm with you. I'm very cultured. As, you know as what's well. cracking me up about this, Wally? What? 
is that when we sat down today, we're like, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, we didn't prepare. Oh, wait, let's talk about articulation. So we got, we got a week's worth of material here, man. Well, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> because you emailed me and you said, yeah. well, I, I'm going to get together with this, this conference <clears throat> talking about Londex. And I was like, well, we obviously got to talk about articulation. Yeah, so exactly. So the dot yeah. means... Well, okay, so when we're kids, they teach us it means to play the note short. Short, which is... That's an easy thing to tell you in band, and it's it's a it's a good start. Yeah, but it's also obviously obviously not a great definition. What is a not better a definition of problems the in the lungs? Staccato for those just joining us in the music yeah. world is the dot over the note. Yes. Um, in the jazz world, we just call it a dot, man. Just call just it a dot, the, man. Just the so dot. The way I would think of it more is some space between the notes. Mm-hmm. And how much space? Well, it depends on the situation, right? Oh, my God. The the context dependency is the bane of my existence because yeah. my adult students, literal doctors, lawyers, engineers, yep. I mean, just brilliant people, and like, just tell me what it means. Well, I was like, I, I can't. It's it's context dependent. Yep. Um, but this yeah. is why music, it would be so boring if music were as simple as, you know, how to assemble a piece of Ikea furniture. Okay, that's not simple. I once did a dresser. <laughs> I know that can get really gnarly. I, I did a 16-drawer dresser from Ikea, and when I was oh, done, geez. I took a picture of it, sent it to MIT, and they sent me an honorary PhD. <laughs> so that's not simple. But it's not it's not as simple as this means this. But a, a dot, for me, can simply mean some separation. And the, the length of that separation between it and the successive notes is context-dependent. Yeah, and you might do it one way, and somebody else might do it a different way. And I was right. Your way's obviously right. better, yes. but they might both be okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I hate that. Yeah, it's like uh, I wouldn't do it that way, and because the students will ask, "Well, is it? Is, I would do it this way," and I'm like, "I would do it this way, but but your way's okay." Yeah, if that's how you hear it, if that's, that's tr- how you that's would want to hear it, if you're sitting in the audience, would you yeah. want to hear it that way? Yeah, and we want okay. to get into room acoustics and how that affects articulation. Oh, uh, oh boy! So Steve Reich wrote these tenutos with a staccato marking on top of it. Yeah. And what did he want? Well, it turns out he wanted you to go da 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 da. You wanted them quite connected, but mm-hmm. you had to hear that there were different notes. So my first recording with the Vienna Saxophone Quartet that we sent to Steve Reich for approval, he wrote back and said, "There's too much space between the notes." Um and um. Can you go back into the studio? This oh, is like wow. an eleven-track piece, <laughs> Wally. Can you go? If you could go back into the studio and re-record it more, more uh, connected, more legato. And it's not a short, like, uh, oh gosh. Yeah, and so the second one was fine. We had played that. Um, da da dum dum da 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 dum. I had had a good enough musical sense not to go de da 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 da. Da 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 da. We had done that very lyrically and very smooth because yeah. it just made sense to do that way. And then the third movement is da 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 da. Also has the staccato, tenuto kind of notation, but we added some slurs and things. We took some liberties um, with that because it just didn't make sense to go da 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 da. Just mm-hmm. didn't didn't sound lyrical. So we had done that pretty much right. There was one section of that he took a little bit of issue with. And again, we were led astray by his notation. Mm-hmm. And so we we went back to our recording engineer, who Martin Berm, fantastic recording engineer in a very expensive studio in Vienna. And um, he loved working with us because he usually did more popular styles and he loved the challenge of working with uh, 
contemporary classical um, music group because and recording a saxophone quartet is is tough to get yeah. that really good. He was amazing. I'll have to give you some examples of some of the recordings yeah, he did that. in Vienna quartet. And <clears throat> we went back to him, and he's like, "Well, I like it the way it is." And we're like, "Yeah." Well, this is the feedback we got back from Steve Reich. And of course, he'd never heard of yeah, Steve yeah. Reich. He's like, well, who is this guy? And we explain. He's like, okay, so you're trying to get that guy to approve the recording. And this is what we have to do to get that guy who wrote the piece to approve of the recording. We're like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up, Martin. He's like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. And we did it. He didn't charge us. We just went oh, back wow. in. Yeah, he just did it because he wanted Steve Reich to be happy with the recording. And, you know, when we sent that final product to Steve, he was like, yeah, this is it. Oh, this wonderful. is how the piece should sound. So I should really do some work to because that that recording is released on a very kind of obscure label in Vienna. I should do some work to get that more readily available because a lot of other recordings have been done of that piece, but and not to criticize any of them because it's a really hard piece to record and I would love to do it one more time before I can't play anymore because I can do it better than I've recorded it twice now. Right. And I can do it better. I know I can. So I would love to have one more shot at it to be honest. But um a lot of people went back and listened to the Rasher recording which kudos to the the Rasher quartet for all of the work they've done to inspire fantastic um pieces you know, to be written for saxophone quartet. The repertoire they've created is unbelievable. Sure. They have gotten top name contemporary composers from around the world. They've done, you know, the the Philip Glass saxophone um, quartet concertos written for them. I, I'm blanking on, I mean, so, so many right, pieces. Right, right. Great pieces written, written for them. And they're amazing. They're an amazing group. I mean, fantastic players, top-notch, world-class. Uh, you, okay, you've, you've, gonna, you've set it up. Okay. Now insult them. But 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 <laughs> Steve Reich really did not like the way they interpreted that piece. And as I've been saying, because of we're talking about articulation. Articulation. And, and taking what composers have put on the page with a grain of salt, um, you know, what they did was a result of what Steve wrote. Right. Honestly. But then Steve didn't write what they did, and... They, of course, obviously hadn't listened to enough of his music to understand, and us either, honestly, right. to understand that they had misinterpreted what he wrote on the page. But you got to give some, some of the blame has to go to Steve. But so saxophone quartets go back to the Rasher recording because they're so famous. Right. And they assume, we always assume that the people a piece um, was first recorded by, we always assume that, of course, they worked with a composer, of course, right? No. Well, they at least have to get permission. They had permission, yes, but Steve Reich had nothing to do with that right, recording. Right, right. He had nothing to do with our recording either, except for we were eager to get his approval on the recording and, and went back into the studio to get it. Yeah, fun entrepreneurship yeah. minute. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know if you can record a piece, if you don't, if it's not been published yet and you don't have permission, you can't just do it and then pay you know, uh, licensing. Right. You have to get permission from the composer. But once someone else has recorded it and it's been published via recording, then you record it if you pay the proper mechanical licensing. Yeah. I think those are the correct terms. It's been a while since I've taught that class. But yeah, it's fascinating because I knew someone that I won't name any names that recorded a piece, then contacted the composer. It's like, yeah, I've just recorded your piece and I'm really excited. And it's like, ah, nope. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have well, dibs. This, um, oh God, it's such a, a long story. So the Rashers made a recording, made a made an arrangement of the piece. They got permission from the publisher Boozy and Hawks to make an arrangement and then record it. So their arrangement's actually a different arrangement. And then Steve, oh, it's a long story, I, which I don't want to go in. But Steve did give me permission to make my own arrangement oh, that's really and cool. record it. 
but yeah. There's more to the backstory, but I want to talk about it. Which leads us to Londex. Yes, so articulation. So anyway, yes, play exactly what's on the page, and but take into consideration the composer and how much knowledge they have of the saxophone and how we articulate. A lot of times a composer writes for strings, Mm -hmm. and then they'll write something for saxophone, and they'll be very surprised by the way we articulate because the markings mean something different for string players than they mean for wind players. Yeah. So that's why talking about articulation, you could just go on for years. You could have an example of a piece written for a string player, um, transcribed for saxophone. How do you handle transcribing the articulation marks then? Right. There's a whole other episode well, it's like, or it's 10. Well, it's like Tim McAllister <laughs> said that uh, when he was in a, uh, at, at Michigan, he paid a violinist friend, or asked, not paid, asked a violinist friend, could you learn the first page of the Glazunov? Because he wanted to, to hear how a violinist would interpret it. I loved that. And then he talked so much about articulation and how that is a big mm-hmm. area that we saxophonists could really develop. Right, because it, I know it's frustrating to my, my adult students that when they say, well, do I tongue it or do I not? Or, you know, just what is it? And, like, it's one of those things. And in jazz, which... Oh, my gosh. I mean, classical is unbelievably complex. Jazz is equally complex. Like, well, how do I ghost that more. note? Like, uh, it depends Here, on tempo, it, it depends like on range. Yeah. And, like, in, there comes a point where it's almost like we need to know what sound we're going for. <clears throat> Listen to the recordings. And then allow our bodies to figure out how to achieve that. Listen, 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 listen. listen. When I do a transcription, I always go back and listen to people playing their Mm -hmm. original instrument. If it's transcribed from something for a different instrument, always listen to the original instrument and listen to several different people on the original instrument. Because guess what? They don't all do it the same either. It's amazing. So Londex... When you would take a lesson with Lundex, what are some of these things you talk about with articulation with Lundex? Because uh, it wasn't like you tongue or you don't, and then... Right. Yeah. Well, here's a great piece to talk about articulation with um, that a lot of people maybe won't know of, but it was written in the 70s, actually written for Jean-Marie Lundex, and it's the Denisov Sonata for alto saxophone and piano, because Denisov did work with Lundex on articulation and notating the articulation and so you could really trust that Denisov wanted you to do yeah. what was on the page. Now, who was Edison Denisov? Because I had a friend that did his Fulbright in Moscow, and he was in very insistent that I pronounce it Edison Denisov. Oh, there you go. That's Denisov. correct. Russian um, composer who spent most of his career in Paris. I, I hope believe he was also a right. mathematician. Is that correct? Or am I thinking that, of Zanakis? Well, Zanakis for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me if Denisov was too. Probably a math nerd. We can take his lunch money for sureies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. I may be thinking it was Zanagas, oh, but yeah, it is in Denisov, I think Russian so composer. Many, so many composers were in, into math or philosophy and things like yeah, that. Yeah, a bunch of nerds. Yeah. 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 So yeah, this piece. So did you study this the 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 Denisov Denisov um, the Denisov uh, sonata yes, with, with Lundex? Jean-Marie Lundex. Oh, fantastic! Tell me about I that did. experience. So think, oh, you had to play all of the right rhythms and. <laughs> Yeah, no. What a jerk. Yeah, but (laughs) you'd be surprised. So especially in the second movement, you know that piece. Yes. You probably haven't looked at it in a few years, but if you No, I like, no. (laughs) I'm sure you were tortured by that piece too. 
Just <laughs> I've never played it, but I was a very stubborn graduate student that my professors would say, this is important. I'd go like, yeah, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're, you know, a classical saxophonist who is very into knowing the important milestone pieces in that repertoire, then yes, it's important. And if you were teaching students who are going, I this does not really apply to my students, so I don't right. teach this piece. But if I was teaching students who were then going to go on and teach students who were then going to go on and teach students in the academ in the academia, I would have to teach this piece. But I don't teach this piece because I don't work in that setting. My students go out and play music like in the community for normal people, the general public. Oh, you were digging yourself in a deep hole. You know what I'm saying. But Susan, we need yeah. to be out educating people about art music. The only reason they don't like Edith and Denisov is because we're not teaching them and exposing them enough. I would say that there's lots of art music that can be played for the general audience. And this Denisov piece, uh, that piece in the right setting. How long is the sonata? In the right program around it with the right introduction. I could do it. Well, I could do of, it at the Forest of A couple Duke of liters of beer. Um, oh, if the yeah. audience has that, I definitely could do it anywhere. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not listening anyways. So, <laughs> oh, the so, whole piece is not real long. The whole piece is 10, 12 minutes. Okay, we say, like, when we're talking about, at the time, we could consider that maybe avant-garde. For, you know, for the 1970s, it, yeah. was, it was looking forward, mm -hmm. that yeah. piece of music. Um you say it's just 10 or 12 music we need to expose an audience. But if someone's never been to a saxophone recital before, uh, it's like, oh, neat, classical saxophone. And they sit down. 10 to 12 minutes isn't like a little exposure. That's that's a long it's period. It's intense. Well, it's three movements. Yeah. Like, have you ever had a broccoli rob? No. Broccoli rob. I believe in pronouncing it correct. What it, is that? It's a type of broccoli that I, it, there's a, oh, I can't the name of the restaurant in Greece, but a very nice restaurant, restaurant, and I ordered it as my side, and they brought it to oh. me, and I immediately uh, clutched my throat and screamed, I've been poisoned, and <laughs> and then I was, I, and I said, I will sue you all, and I dropped to the floor and waited for the ambulance, and they informed me, no, in fact, I had not been poisoned, it was because I tried broccoli rob, um, and it is a very bitter Poison tasting, oh. weedy, horrible <laughs> abomination of a vegetable. Well, so now I tried it. I was okay. exposed to broccoli, broccoli horror rob. <laughs> but I still had a nice rest of the meal, and I could ignore it. So you somehow managed to cleanse your palate. So then to equate this with the music of Dison Denisov, ten ten minutes for the uninitiated is it's a long time. So I, I hear what my contemporary academic friends are saying. We need to expose audiences and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, maybe <laughs> pick a movement, you know? Well, pick. that's actually a great idea. Yeah. So the best movement um, for Londex teaching precision of articulation, and if I had the sheet music in front of me, I would remember it more exactly. But the very first lick is... Dun, dee, da. Dun, dun, dun. So the thing is, there's so much articulation in just that much. Yeah. Right? Tenuto. So walk us through. Tenuto accent and then staccato. Now, when you say da, you're not ending the note with the tongue, are you? Dum. Dum dee. Oh, how would I do it if I was had my saxophone in my mouth? Dum dum dee dum 
I can't remember what the exact articulation is. You can't remember is. what, <laughs> what Londex screamed so at depends. you in French? It, no, I just have to see it, and then I would I would know exactly right. what I was going to play. But, you know, um, if you think about how an accent mark looks, it's, it's big on the left, and it tapers to the right. And so it's kind of like a mini decrescendo. Oh, yeah. And so instead of thinking of it as hit the note really hard, you know, and I'll break your microphone, ta, you know, an explosive beginning. You could also think of, of it as a ta, a little decay. Right. And in some situations, it's a little bit more that. And so if you do a, t- a, a, t- uh, a accent with a tenuto, then it's a, a, a strong beginning, so a ta, but then it sustains some sustain, because right. of that, legato, that tenuto mark. Right. Oh, my gosh. And then the da. So Lonex used to talk, I'm sure he still does, a lot about weight, um, W-E-I-G-H-T in English, weight, so heaviness, as, as no, opposed to W-A-I-T, waiting. We shall waiting. wait in We're line. We shall wait for our mail. Exactly. We shall wait. Okay, but he means so weight is in you, like... So when you were talking before about the, the um, tenuto being de-bebop, bebop, do-da, do-da, so that do... That has the tenuto mark mm-hmm. on it is also it also has more weight than the other note. So those times, things yeah. are yeah yeah. And sometimes I have seen composers where they add a tenuto mark, and I go, "What do you mean by that?" And they say, "Just wait." And then yes. I mean, like just uh, like I said, just wait. I said, "Wait till wait for yeah. what?" And they go, "No, no, like wait." But it could also be that, right? Yeah. So talking about music really is like dancing about architecture. Right. Yeah. It's so hard. And it also sometimes composers mean that as the peak of the phrase. So the the problem with articulation marks is that you have to read the mind of the composer. And, and a lot of them are just bat poop crazy. And a lot of them are not used to writing for wins. So I've mm-hmm. had a lot of times, a lot of times I've gotten together with a composer who's written a piece for me and it's their first time writing for a wind instrument. And so I have to go through all the articulation. Well, what do you mean by this? Yeah, well, it, a string player <laughs> would take the bow off the strings. Here they'd leave it on, and I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. Well, first of all, Pierre, I don't have a pedal. Um, <laughs> There's that. <laughs> yeah, and these up bows, I don't know what to do with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's super interesting. And I was working with a young composer a couple of weeks ago, and they just gave me a page with all the notes. And I said, okay, so you know you have to put in articulation marks. And they looked at me with a... A blank look. So they're they're like they're a pianist, oh which boy. pianists do also play with articulation. But that's a whole different yeah. uh, subject for them too. How do you do that, right? Man, I hope this person doesn't study the, at a university with a composition professor that you know. Um, they're taking private lessons with a composition professor that I know, yeah. and trip um, trip. <laughs> They're just starting out on this piece of music. They oh, okay. This, is a, this isn't like a senior no, recital. Oh, okay. oh, no, no. It's a work in progress. And so they, All came, right. they have me play it on my soprano sax, and I, I play it, and then they're like, oh, I have to. So I showed them what it would sound like if I just went ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, just tongued every note. Not very good. And then I showed them what it would sound like if I went ta if I just didn't tongue any note. And then I showed them ta 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 and they're like Is that actually the piece? No. Oh yes! But it's kinda nice, right? I regret making fun of the composer. That was that was lovely. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Then who's the composer now? 
I don't know. I have to write it down because I don't remember a thing. Yeah, I'll yeah. listen to the podcast. There you go. Then just transcribe but so it. So articulation makes all the difference in the world. It does. So Londex made sure we we played every articulation that was on the page. We had to play every dynamic that was on the page too. If it said forte Monster. piano Ugh. and you didn't play the forte, you'd be like meno. And if you didn't play the piano, meno, meno. Say pobre. No, 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 so no. For, so for those for those of us that speak freedom, what, like, what does meno no mean? Me, no. So meno is, but no, but no, but no, but no. It was like always, oh. always telling us, no, no, no. You, you, you forgot that. You forgot that. What you does meta do now mean? Uh, meta not now. Okay, that's what my French teacher would always say. Meta no, meta no, now or vite vite fast. Oh, no wonder I failed French. Okay. <laughs> this all makes much more sense. And I shouldn't have filed that harassment claim. Oh, no. <laughs> you thought they were swearing at you. Oh, I just assumed. <laughs> so yeah. that's if they say married. <laughs> yeah. We can't translate that. No, we can't. Because then we'll be like Tim. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, Tim, for making me mark my <laughs> podcast explicit. I love that. Yeah. So. Oh, goodness, Wally. Lo- how Woo! much of your lessons were discussing the, uh, articulation? Um, details a lot. Yeah. A lot details tuning, um, um, alternate fingerings for tuning, and um, oh goodness! Now this is fascinating. A so yeah, also a lot of detail. Um, I've had a couple of friends that study with um, Jean Marie Londex. Jean Marie Londex, yeah. And one of my mentors, Michael Hester, studied. Oh, interesting. Fabulous. I don't think he finished the year. Like I think it's u- not unusual to go and study one year at the Bordeaux. Yeah. Maybe two, or is it two? Usually, uh, foreign students will usually do one year. Some one year. will stay two, like Mark okay. did. But so my some, some my do a semester my leave. mentor, who this is a smallest side, but I have to give um, some, just how much Michael Hester influenced me as a human being. Oh God, so he went and studied with Jean Marie Lundex, and right before he left, he met his wife Julia. Uh, and if you meet Michael, Julia is his world, and it's uh, the most amazing thing. And if you anytime you mention her name, his eyes light up. It's the sweetest darn thing. And apparently while he was there, he's just like, you know, I need to go back. Um, I met this woman and like, you know, we're starting to see each other. And like, and Londex was just like, just indignant. Like, what? No, he will finish his studies. Oh like, my gosh. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he mentions the, yeah. So I just, uh, so mentors, yeah. this is, so I know uh, Londex influenced you a lot. Yeah. My mentor, Michael Hester, he influenced me on priorities. And that really stuck with me because when I was in grad school, I had some professors like, you need to go to this. You need to go to this jam session. You need to go to this concert. I was like, no, I I want to spend time with my wife, and like yeah. I had a long day. I'm gonna spend the night. I'm gonna spend the evening with her. And like, yeah. we'll bring her to the recitals. Like, no, I love her, <laughs> and I want to stay married. <laughs> right. I, I'm I'm not gonna make her listen to the Denisov sonata. Uh, well, she just needs more exposure to it. She does not. This might be a reason that a lot of musicians get married to musicians or artists get married to right. artists because the. the the demands of the life are really just kind of awful in a way. Yeah, and it is yeah. a little bit of an insular or group where we be. feel like, oh, this is a really beautiful piece of... Like, I know a lot of people that that really feel like the John Harbison in San Antonio is a beautiful piece of music. Um, and like, oh, no, but that's just such a lovely... That's such an audience-friendly, beautiful piece of music. And we're in such an s- insular group that we think, yes, that is a very accessible, audience-friendly, beautiful piece of music. But it's really not to general audiences, even those that are exposed to classical music. We are just so in our own saxophone world we that we think, like, are. it's just so friendly. I mean, there's no multiphonics in the opening, w- so it's basically well, Bach. I would argue that after the first movement, it's pretty easy. That third movement is da 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 Oh, you're mispronouncing cheesy. But, yeah. But, I mean, so people like, that's just beautiful. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. That is great. 
gives us chocolate cake. That's the opening of uh, of San Antonio. Yeah, that that first mov- movement gets gets rough. Yeah. yeah, and I just think like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like, uh, yeah. I'm not. But I in the saxophone, which is why saxophonists yeah. often like marry other saxophonists or saxophone composers, or uh, the smart ones will marry uh, an accompanist that has no choice but then to play with said saxophonist. That is a point. That I, I, good. I know several <laughs> that married their pianist. Yeah. yeah. But you know, there is a place for all of this music. Yeah. There is. Yeah. There is. Yeah. There is. So what are you going to do when you get together with these 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 these, these oh, party animals goodness. in Paris? These party animals. Just throw in back Paris. some wine. Talk multiphonics. It's going to get crazy. Oh, uh, there probably will be some talk about multiphonics. Oh, we're out of hard drive uh, space, and this is well, where we can. No, okay. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to present on, but I'm supposed to do a 15 minute presentation, and I think Mark and I will do one together. And I please think tell me you're going to wear matching outfits. Of course. Like, like come out in matching jumpsuits. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I'm Mark. I'm Sue. <laughs> I know who to talk to when I'm yeah. needing ideas I for my presentation. I know about uh, presenting with flair. I think yeah. we're, we're, we've been asked to consider presenting on chamber music and uh, the situation of saxophone quartet and, and a quartet repertoire. Oh, beautiful. And you know, you, know. A th- you know a thing or two about yeah. that. Yeah, and Mark and I have played in a few saxophone quartets together, and I've played in some other quartets that he wasn't in, but all kinds of different kinds of repertoire and playing for different kinds of audiences. And I'm trying to um, I'm trying to decide. I mean, I know that, that Londex's legacy is, by and large, the encourage... The encouragement? Is that a word? Yeah, the encouragement of composition for saxophone. In particular... He's really encouraged the rep- the repertoire to go in a direction of music that he would say for and of the saxophone. So the thing about multiphonics and other special f- effects on the saxophone that a lot of like saxophonists got into, in particular in academia, but in like contemporary music, right. contemporary classical music, um, is based on the idea that these sounds can't be made by other instruments. They can only be made <laughs> by the saxophone. Somewhere a violinist is thanking God. Yeah. yeah, right. So, you know, Lundex isn't only about this, but part of what he's been about is not just transcribing in music that could, or not just writing music for the saxophone that could be written for any instrument. Right. Now, me, as as my own repertoire has developed um, in the past decades, over the decades, and, and now even more so as my audiences tend to be more and more the general concert-going public, people who who would go to a, a string quartet concert or who would right. go to um, a church concert or who would go to a symphony orchestra concert, that audience, but also maybe like a summer festival um, audience or a community concert series audience, the same people who might um, go to a concert series that might also have like next week a, grab, a, a jazz group, a jazz combo. And then, you know, someplace where I could go play um, a, a recital of, of saxophone and piano music or saxophone quartet music where I would want them to actually um, enjoy the music, clap for the music, smile, maybe even tap their foot, God forbid, and ask me back in a year or two. You know, as my repertoire has moved more in that direction, because I did a lot of what I would You paid your dues. Now, I'm, I, yeah. I have played a lot of, you know, multiphonics and altissimo in my years, so I feel like I have earned the right to also um, play some music that doesn't have that stuff, that has a tune, and I like to play a beautiful melody, and I love it when people cry because the melody was so moving that they cried. Yeah. 
So I'm wondering if it's going to be okay for me to just be myself when I go to this conference and talk about some of the music and some of the trends in the repertoire that I have been moving along with, if I can say it that way, in these recent years. I played Gabriel's oboe um, on Sunday at Did a church service. Did he let you borrow it? And <laughs> the piece... Gabriel's Oboe by Ennio Morricone. It's the music from the mission. It's a really gloriously beautiful tune. People came up to people came up to me after the service and said, "I I just you moved me to tears with the offertory music of Gabriel's Oboe, and Mm -hmm. they know it from the the movie The Mission, and and you know that makes me really happy. I have been posting some of the recordings from that church. Well, Duke Vesper's concert I did way back in 2017 of things like Deep River, Amazing Grace, um, <clears throat> Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, things like right. that, these gorgeous old gospel, um, traditional spiritual the spiritual hymns, sounds beautiful. Um, with soprano um, sax If you don't follow organ, uh, oh Sue on Facebook, you need to go friend uh, her on Facebook. because she's post- or, or your, Check out your YouTube channel. Both I posted them on Facebook, but they're on my they're on my YouTube, YouTube channel. channel. Yeah, yeah. I'm working on getting the James Whitbourne Son of God Mass up, which is a multi movement yeah. mass, glorious music with choir and organ and soprano sax. So what this I'm stuff is gathering gorgeous. from this, the amount of work you're doing with choir and spiritual and religious music is you're trying to repent from all those years of multiphonics. <laughs> you're trying to make amends. And all yeah. Yeah. Well, I think when you go there, you have to be you. And, and I think you're in a unique position to talk about, because you have strong feelings about the repertoire. You have ruffled feathers before. Oh, yeah. Um, you and I see eye to eye, which is a little bit like us preaching to the same choir. Yeah. But I think that you, me saying it, I can do it with, with my tongue and my cheek because, you know, oh, Wally never takes anything seriously, which is true. I but, love to go to contemporary music concerts and right, I but love paid to hear that dues. music. Yeah, and you've, I still love that music. You, you do and you've paid your dues. So yeah. I think you, you offer Varia a Sequenza, very... I've done... So, I, I would record that piece, except for I took it out a couple of years ago because I've performed it several times. The Burial Sequenza, the soprano sax one that was originally for oboe. Right. I love that piece, and I took it out a few years ago, probably five years ago, and I thought, oh, I never recorded that piece. I only have live concert recordings. And I went to relearn it, and I'm like, mm, nope. I'm just steep learning curve to relearn it. I'm just not going to spend those hours. I, I'm just, I'll go listen to somebody else play it. So you're saying it's you're too lazy for good art, is what you're saying? I'm too lazy for that piece again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's where the repertoire. So back to the the repertoire. So Jean Marie Lundex, to my understanding, like I never met the gentleman. I listened to his LP back in the music person. library, like yeah. on vinyl. Yeah. Um, but my mentor who studied with him was saying he was like, as you were saying, really interested in getting works written for saxophone that were specific to what the saxophone could do. Yes. Um, and so that kind of led to um, Christian Lauba writing. They're dear, dear friends to this day. Yes. Yeah. And it was kind of him trying to further that vision. So here at Nuf Etudes. Yep. It's nine been a long yep. nine etudes. Nuf etudes. Yeah, yeah, it's n- been a long etudes. time since I thought he, about these things. Christian Lauba's. Once again, I, I had a saxophone professor who's like, these are important. I said, nah, I don't think so. Um, so. I have played some of his music, his saxophone ensemble music, when I was in. Bordeaux, and there's another piece of his I've played, but I have never played any of those pieces. It's the same thing. There's a learning curve that is really steep. And if you love that music and you want to play it, you're going to put in the time and energy to do it. And I just I just am doing different music, and I just the learning curve is just too steep 
for me. I love listening to other people play that music. Really? Yeah, but I don't. I'm not gonna. Pl- I, I'm not for the listener. It the, yeah. There's a very serious expression on her face. Yeah. She's not even kidding. I'm not kidding. Okay. And I mean, I love the music of Zanakis. I love the music of of Jacinto Chelsea. I'm probably not even saying his name right, even though I wrote my dissertation on his saxophone <laughs> music. I wrote my dissertation on the on, music on of, Chelsea. of Jacinto. I don't know if it's Jacinto or Jacinto. Uh, never mind. Chelsea or yeah. Anyway, um, I just I love to have listen you re- to that have music. You record, you've recorded uh, Tri Petsy. Yes, I love that piece. Which translates like to yeah, three pieces. Oh, I love that, that piece. makes more sense. I okay. love that piece. There's three separate pieces. You don't have to play them right. all together. In so the, in the words of the giant crustacean from Moana, pick one, pick yeah. one, pick one. But, you know, all to, again, just say, you know, I, I have done a lot of You've contemporary music. Yeah. And I still, by contemporary music, what I mean by the term now is music that's being written during our time, contemporary to us. Yeah. So not necessarily modern. That for me is an era of music and a style of music. For me, I use oh, the term yeah. contemporary to mean like contemporary jazz is ma- jazz that's being made now. You know, so I mean by new music. So Scott Lindroth wrote this amazing piece for soprano saxophone and string quartet called Schley Road that I recorded back in May with the Chompy String Quartet. And I'm looking forward to that recording coming out. Um, it's contemporary music because it was written in recent years for me, for this group. It's a brand new piece. It's got melodies. It's got a, a cool groove. Um, it's a sophisticated piece. It's not going to be for everyone. Not everyone's right. going to love the piece, but I just love playing that piece. I love playing with string quartet. And, oh, speaking of string quartet, you want to get back to a discussion on articulation so they would <laughs> well they, they maybe we got into other subjects that are more fun but they got um into details of articulation even though th- they're playing a string the piece yeah they're, the string they're playing a string piece by a guy who definitely knows how to notate articulation for strings and they would say well should we do this more on the strings? should we do it less on the strings? should we um should we uh, they, I can't even like, frog tip bow. Oh my bridge. gosh, we're I mean, on the bow, we're on the strings. And it's amazing the amazing. amount of amazing. Yeah. And so, and that wasn't even changing the notation that was on the page. That was just trying to figure out how they were going to do the notation on the on the page. And so that thing about Tim getting a violinist to play the first page of the Glazunov Concerto and not tell them, even if you told them it was for saxophone, just say. How would you play this this? if this was a cello piece? How would you play this if it was a viola piece? How would you play this if it was a violin piece? And I can just, I had never thought to do that. That's a great idea. Um, How that would change your interpretation as a saxophonist to study that piece with a string player. I studied a Bach sonata once that was written for flute with a Baroque flutist, and I just... I couldn't believe just the things that they were telling me. And, you know, we have a tendency to, in some cases, over-articulate because we're putting our, our tongue on a reed, right? Wait, what? And, yeah. And mm, boy. Well, maybe. And <laughs> some then, of my students are. Well, and then there were places where they wanted, so they wanted me not to tongue so hard, and then there were places they wanted me to tongue harder. I couldn't believe it and put in more space. So it's very interesting. Go listen to Emmanuel Pahoud play. I do, yeah. Yeah, play the, I don't know, probably butchering his name. Play the, no, no, you know, the so second sonata for flute. So the, for the Bach. uninitiated, oh uh, Emmanuel Pahoud, one of the most respected flautists yes. on the planet. 
And so I think a good starting place, and I know everyone has their opinions to be like, oh, no, you have to listen to this obscure, uh, transverse flute player. But if you talk to flute players, they will, you know, admit, like, you know, Emmanuel Payoud is, if you want to learn Bach, is a really great place for saxophones to listen to. And, you know, if you're working on that sonata, um, go ahead and listen to Galway and Rumpal and... And there's going to be a hundred other really leading flutists that I don't know about. I just go to YouTube, and now that we have that, when we were younger, we didn't have that. Now that mm. we have that, it's bewildering. Bewildering. You can listen to so many different recordings. When I was working on the Bach double violin concerto, I listened to at least five different recordings, and it's amazing how different they are. All all violinists. Oh right, right. Yeah, and so you you can either feel confused by that, or you can feel like oh, okay, I've got an idea of these different ways it's done. Now I can figure out what what I want to take away from that. And that was one thing really, really great about studying with different teachers, and I know you've had that experience too, of them, of when teachers give contradictory advice. At yeah. first, you're like, whoa, one of these guys has no idea what they're talking about. But if you just step back, take it in, do what this teacher is telling you to do, try to do what they're they're telling you, and then you have to decide. Oh, it's in the jazz world in the pedagogy. There's this hilarious like you've got to play the chord changes, which means a lot of your your um, your job here is to make sure you're outlining playing the arpeggios. Aim for the chord tones, chord tones, chord tones. And then there's another camp that is almost like, well, you got to know. You practice the scales. You play the scales. You play the scales. And like you know, fellas, here's the deal. We're playing melodies, and it's gonna have some scale tones. And some chord tones. There you have it. You can view it as an arpeggio with extra notes or a scale where you sometimes skip notes. It's the same beep, 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 beep. I'll get Tim McAllister yes. to do the cussing here. It's the same thing. <laughs> and it's not either or, you dingbats. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the French are wrong is what I think we can both agree on. <laughs> Correct? Is that, was, am well, I missing the takeaway? The takeaway is be careful how much credit you give to that particular composer. <laughs> Yeah, and because they may not know. The student doesn't know. You have right. to tell them. And that's why it's great to work with composers as performers because then you can teach composers how to notate properly. And I'm going to say as performers, you know, I teach my students to play all of the articulations that are on the page because I want the, them to learn to... I want their brains to be able to take in all the markings and do all those things. But then after they do that, then we got to make a musical line. Then we got to make the music make sense. And if you decide you don't like the accent on a note where a composer wrote an accent, that's where your personal artistry um, comes in. So listen, we're all a mass of contradictions, and it's because things don't come in black and white all the time. Lone Dex also is notorious for when he used to play with orchestra. If the conductor told him to do something, he would say, meh, c'est moi qui joue, which means but. I'm the one playing. In other words, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it because I'm the artist sitting here playing the saxophone. Don't tell me how to play my part. He could so say that. So in American, that, that's whatever, whatever, you don't know me is what we say in America. Well, and you're not going to get called again to work with that conductor if you yeah, do that. I usually just, just scream, anybody. you're not my supervisor. There you go. Yeah. I mean, because in the end, when I'm on stage, and I tell this to my students, listen, when it comes right down to it and it's your recital and you're on stage... You're the one who's going to get blamed if you sound bad. Yeah. There, well, I might as your teacher, but people are not going to blame the composer. So you're responsible for the music that you've chosen to play. So that's where I come back to the people who say, well, you could play any place, any piece for any audience. 
well, not if I want to get hired again. Right. And some of us want to get hired again. So I have to be really careful. I have to present it very well and I have to explain it and I have to make sure I'm playing other music on that program that is going to make them hire me a year later and pay me money to come and back. And we both know of experiences where the saxophonist who doesn't program correctly has ruined an opportunity for future generations of saxophonists. Well, yeah. And I was recently trying to book some saxophonists for a festival, and I said the name of a saxophonist who had been on that festival before to the organizer, and the organizer said, oh, wait, is that that person who did that really wacky program? And I said, yes, but they play normal music really, really well, too. Okay, I'm going to trust you on that, they said. <laughs> so, I mean, you don't do us any favors, and you don't do the composer any favor if you play the wrong music for the wrong audience. Yes, of course, the composers need performers to play their music. Yes, of course. Or their music won't, I mean, it just exists in a drawer. And for some, okay, we, that's a different subject. Yeah, I, see, yeah, yeah. I see Wally's face going so. <laughs> well, there's but plenty you know, of drawers in the world, Sue. Plenty just, of drawers. I just think that, you know, if you play, you know, really lightweight music for an audience that can handle a little challenge, they're also not going to hire you back because they want something a little interesting. Um, but just... Be be honest with yourself about who the audience is and be honest with yourself. Do you really want to be at an outside festival listening to the piece you're programming? Yeah, and also make sure that when you are expanding their palate, the broccoli rob doesn't take up two-thirds of their plate. Yeah, there you go. Give me some chicken noodles. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of wasabi. Don't take the whole <laughs> spoonful. Or you'd be like Mater in the Cars movie. Oh, my God. I love you. You're talking about Sanakas. <laughs> hey, that's what we're all about here on the Saxophone Academy, Academy podcast. podcast. That's why people are listening because <laughs> who don't play the saxophone. <laughs> that'll be a subject for another time. But I, I do get messages like, oh. hey, I really love your podcast. Oh, really? How long have you been playing? Oh, I don't. <laughs> like, I, I what? Mean, I never got to explain my friend Bernd from okay, Vienna. Okay, yes, please explain uh, Bernd. Last thing. So, so Bernd, we'll bring this full back, and then, yeah. we're, then we're shutting this then off. Then we got to shut this off, because my goodness, we could go on for hours, and these people are going to shut us off. Yeah, they did um, 20 minutes so ago. So my friend, oh gosh, my friend Bernd from Vienna, I met him at a contemporary music festival on the Vienna Modern Festival. He was sitting in the audience, right in the row behind me, just by chance, and Mark and I were talking something about the piece, that had just been performed. And that that festival was full-on Zanakis, um, all contemporary music. And the, and the hall was full all the time for people who wanted to hear that music and went specifically to hear that music. And this guy behind me, we got talking. We're like, well, so are you a musician? You know, what are you doing here? Because we're assuming who wants to listen to this music who's not a yeah. like a composer or a musician of this music. And he said, oh, I'm just your regular guy who likes to listen to modern music. And we looked at him and we said, we didn't know there were any of those. Yeah. He said, yeah, there are a few of us. I'm one of them. This guy is awesome. <laughs> There's he, dozens of us. Yeah, he knew way more about music than we did because he listens to music all the time. He became one of our very best, best friends in Vienna to this day, a really great friend. He used to come hear us in the Vienna Saxophone Quartet every concert. And we would go out and have a wonderful meal and drink some lovely Austrian beer, German beer sometimes too. Great guy. But anyway, so he wrote to me last week, and he's like, or, or a couple days ago, and he said, oh, I heard about you and Kenny G from the podcast. Anyway, great to hear your voice. <laughs> and so it was so cool to reconnect with And with you bringing up Kenny G again is where we're going to end this week. <laughs> he had a great suit. He looked great. I'm telling you. I need water. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, everybody, go practice. <laughs> go practice. Have a wonderful Have week. We'll be, back. we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye, Bye Molly. <laughs>